0: Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when
1: the real estate fortunes are made. A but show dedicated made. to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape.
2: Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will put in a conservatorship in 2008 and continue to dominate the mortgage market. And the mortgage
1: now, your host, the Mortgage Experts from Central Coast Lending. That's because the election has changed mortgage rates dramatically. Broadcasting from the KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 965 studios in San Luis Obispo. Economy? Are you
0: talking about? It's time
1: for mortgage matters. Matters.
3: Matters.
4: Just lost that bet on live radio.
5: It's not. (laughs) Did you give them the history of the Thanksgiving Day? Um, I mean, I
4: basically just said it was like Roosevelt somewhere back in like the '40s. So it's been a really long time. And then, uh, it's no big deal. Yeah. Borrowed Jim's intro to the topic and said, Yeah. And, you know, with one last weekend after, you know, Black Friday, see how it affects consumer spending. So then I sounded really smart. Right. Uh-huh. Thanks, Jim. He's good. Like,
5: it's good we rehearsed it before. <laughs> <It's>
4: like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I had walked through the whole scenario <laughs> right there.
5: Just. Just add these two new people that had no idea. <laughs> right. They must think I'm so good at Trivial yeah. Pursuit, actually. <laughs> now you know how those stand-up comedians do it, right? They flop in front of one audience. They tweak a couple things. They get a whole new audience to try it out in front of. Them yes. To see if they could do it better. <laughs> in fact, I, I meant
4: to tell you that um, because our small group went to the pack to see whoever that was. Uh, Slesinger, what's her name?
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That
4: special. Eliza. Eliza Slesinger. That special that played at, so she did her show at Cal Poly and they did that practice routine, right? All around the US. Yeah. That gets released on Netflix, I think today or tomorrow. Oh, really? So you'll get to go back and watch how the jokes were perfected from when you saw it. Oh, I wonder if we'll
5: see any snips from our show. Clips of us in yeah. the audience,
4: belly laughing. <laughs> I think we laughed
5: through that entire that show. A what a great show.
4: Um, I was trying to dig out my notes here. There was a couple of things that I thought um, would be great to talk as we just sort of ease our way into today's conversation. Um, So let's see here. Did you see this article? So this landed. Well, first of all, no, never mind. we to go to my article. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you about the impeachment stuff, but you know, what? I don't even honestly care. I was uh, watching it; it was
5: boring as I'm snot.
6: So sick of the entire. I'm not watching that.
5: But I'm tired. I don't it. know if we'll get it. I'll, I'll just, I'll the, tease it, see if it resonates with you. We can see decide if we want to talk about it a little later. For about two weeks in a row. The dominant story on the financial network that I watch every day has been the billionaire, vilification of billionaires, Elizabeth Warren tax plan, uh, just everything to do with taxes and billionaires and stuff like that. So for two straight weeks, it has been talked about every single day uh, on CNBC. So. Mm. That's something that's uh, making a lot of waves right now. Interesting. So we could dive into that a little later if you find that a good topic.
4: Well, these aren't quite billionaires that I was going to bring up to you here, but um, CNBC released an article this week. uh, In fact, multiple news sources covered the same topic because there was a poll conducted um, by UBS, which you're familiar with UBS. They're a legitimate financial firm big time wall street firm big time big time um they survey they surveyed a little over 3,400 high net worth investors um qualification to be a high net worth investor here was at least one million dollars in invested assets and so one of the one of the things that came out of this survey um, is an interesting finding that 55% of these respondents expected a significant drop in the markets at some point within the next 12 months, within 2020, essentially. So more than 55% of them are bracing for a significant oh correction. God. What is that? What was that? That was super weird. Um, anyway, <clears throat> and that also out of that group of super wealthy investors... Um, they found that their cash holding on average had increased, so they're moving as a result of that expectation are beginning to move um on average about twenty five percent of their investable assets over into cash kind of a um an interesting thing uh We were talking I don't know last month or perhaps the month before about how the CEOs feel uncertain. Um, and are having trouble really being able to be confident about what 2020 brings. I think it's interesting here to see that um, these investors see reasons to be cautious. Um, I mean, that's almost two out of three of them. And, And really what they cited ultimately is it has more to do with geopolitical... Um, events more than business fundamentals. So they're they're concerned. What was that? Is that just me? Am I the only one?
5: No, it I'm hearing. It sounds like a video game through the it headphones. Like, yeah.
6: Some, I heard something walking by behind you there. So here. I, th- I don't think it's from me. Your phone, dude. I thought.
4: I think it's something. I think it's someone on your side. I think it came For through me? my headphones. I don't know. Really? Um. Hmm. Anyway, geopolitical concerns by the way, um these are things that, you know, for example, the US China trade war. That's a that's a concern, that's a big concern. Um and that one's not too difficult to see, right? I mean, just this week the Dow made it over 28,000 by the way for an official closing, which is pretty wild. Um so if anyone's taking notes, not that we ever give financial advice here, but the Dow's hitting all-time highs and able to close on a footing over 28,000. Um, and all the while is in the same within 24 hours, this article coming out that's suggesting that these super wealthy investors are moving a quarter of their investable assets into a cash position and anticipating a significant drop. So um, they cite things like the the trade war with China, um, and also on its heels, which these two are, I think pretty well related is, um, the 2020 U S presidential election, right? And this week we had more talk about optimism about how close we are to getting the deal done. But at the same time, we we know for sure. Now China wants, um, some of the tariff stuff backed off and, um, among other things, that seems to be a a point of contention for them that they're not likely to, to roll over on. And that also is a point of contention the exact other way for the current administration is we're not giving up on that. And so as close as we keep getting to a deal each of these times that this occurs, this can's kick down the road because those, those things ultimately can't be agreed upon. And and I do, I think that as long as we have the, um, you know, the current impeachment proceedings and, you know, this stuff's being looked at publicly. I mean, obviously, I it, it's one of those things where, like, did you watch it? No. Um, you know, did you watch it a little bit as much as I could stomach? It's like a bunch of... Uh, Really smart people (laughs) with great vocabularies. They all seem like attorneys, right? Like they're just proficient arguers, and they use their time to get their message out, whether or not it's on topic or relevant to the person that's testifying, right? It's kind of like any congressional testimony we ever see, right? Um, But all the while, it's like you you watch this for a
5: little bit. mm, It's sort of hard to stay put, right? It's not exactly your... Your courtroom drama that keeps you on the edge of your seat. No, and it's also
4: <laughs> yeah, just no. so nonlinear that you can <clears throat> listen for, you know, an hour and feel like, man, what? What's the, what's the theme here besides you're mad and you're mad and they're mad. And anyway, the whole world is seeing that, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not likely watching with any more uh, interest in the details than any of us are. But they just know, just like we do, that we have this riff within the country, right? Um, And so if you're China, you want to make a deal now with this guy that's currently getting, you know, there's an Im- active impeachment proceeding going on? Um, You also have to think that, you know, this next election, what, we're About a, year a year away. away. Yeah. so. On some of these trade deals where you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, um, long term, right? This is not a one-month deal. This is not a one-year deal. So if you're China, you may have 12 months of stall tactics and games to see how close you need to get, right? So – Anyway, s- circling back. This is this uncertainty within the investment community, within the business community about what might just happen with our election and with this China deal. And like I said, they're not those two are in no way separable events. Yeah. Um so that 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 likely um is going to be the spotlight of what drives the economy now. We've we've come from this era where it's been housing, it's been jobs, it's been Fed meetings, it's been these things. Well, lately what we're really seeing is that it's what trade. used to be – Yeah, it's trade. <clears throat> and what used to be top-tier, like primary-tier data come out that you could see get released at the market open or intercession and see the market change, those are like, oh, man, that just – Throw that in the heap of all the other data that we're not very focused on right now. We're more so focused on what happens with the trade agreement. I mean that that basically seems to where to be where the rubber meets the road lately.
5: Well, it's interesting too. You bring up the the slow play uh, strategy by China, right? They're, you know, what if we just outlast this president? He doesn't get reelected. We deal with someone new. It's an interesting strategy. I part of me thinks that this. Uh, trade negotiation with China is a long time coming and is less partisan than we really think. If if there's one thing that you would like poll people about, regardless of their politics, um, the China trade thing. There, there's people that I'm like that you know I know they're they're left leaning, but they're like, yeah, but this this part makes sense to me because China's been getting away with stuff, the technology. Uh, you know stealing and stuff like that's a big deal oh yeah um, those requirements i heard some talk about that you know getting rid of that if you if you wanted to and
4: and and again I, this is something that that trump has championed as a major thing for him so i think in the beginning there was a, a bit of knee jerk about well every economist in the world agrees that this is a terrible idea for the economy this guy's an idiot okay can Point taken. It's not good for the economy. We can all agree to that, right? Maybe the However, means of how we get there is not great, but the- by the time it's all shaken out now, and people have have had the opportunity to take a more honest look, we've we've definitely learned that it's not partisan. And helping solve these trade agreements, this is not as it's not a win for Trump as much as it is a win not only for the American people, but I think. Um, trade and intellectual property as a whole. Mm -hmm. And when you really go look down the rabbit hole at um, some of the egregious intellectual property theft that's happened, um, and also not just related to the U.S., Um, other countries, too, they're happy to take intellectual property from, not honor patents and things like this. I mean, I I read some interesting stuff about um, wind... Power generation, you know, and how some companies would put in years and years and years and years of uh, research and development and lots of funding and just putting the best minds of the country at work to to create this um, new technology. And the day that it gets released, you know, we were careful to patent it and, and want to then protect it. And that company that that made that investment deserves an opportunity to get it to market and and get the money back that they put into, uh, I mean, this is essentially what the patents market is about, right? Or I I hope it to be (laughs) at its core. I think it gets abused in other ways. But um, anyhow, you would find that the next day the Chinese would take and um, just copy it, release it, and start enjoying the profits from it. And that's something where internationally, you know, and, is cell phone companies. There's a lot of great examples of it, but these are the things that are really important to protect. Um, it's not just manufacturing. It's not just who makes the widget cheaper. Um, it has more to do with just respecting um, innovation and, and leadership. And um, anyhow, it's not a partisan issue. However, this is a dude, the current president's a dude that basically said this is, I think he knew it could possibly be a long, gross, dirty fight, um, but was willing to to champion it and make it his cause. And so from that standpoint, um, I, I wonder when we get closer to the election, are we going to end up with somebody coming out to say, well, I've, I have proposals now about how we're going to wrap this up and what's going to happen. And I can only imagine that,
5: um, they're probably a little bit easier to deal with. Yeah. It's interesting. I know like we're in the cycle of, of the, what is, what's the word? Not the election cycle, but the, I don't know. The, we're in that part of the election cycle of the, where, where people are going out trying to get their supporters. And because they're fighting amongst their other, Democratic candidates on the Democratic side mm-hmm. you know they're all kind of hanging real far left try to out left each other if any of these people are smart man they'll try start looking at some of these popular issues like the trade issue like I mean obviously health care is already being looked at pretty well but but trade in particular they'll look at that and they'll start to figure out what their stance is on it because I do think that this China trade issue is going to transcend uh administrations here I I don't know that it gets wrapped up in a year, two years, four well, years, eight if, years. I mean, this is a big deal for both countries. If they both play, countries, it's going to last a long time. If this there's negotiation
4: plays out into the next three or six months, where okay, now there's real careful consideration as to whether this dude wins or not. Um, I, I see it probably straddling that line of the election itself and. You know, we'll have to see how it all shakes down. But I do believe that um the case has been well made now and you know, in the beginning there was also a little bit of that fear mongering about well, what's it gonna do to me and you and the cost of all our things? We see these articles, this wine importer is having trouble with the tax on the French wine and these other things where it's like, Yeah, it's but has your life been so upset? Um, or have you met somebody that's lost their ability to exist today because of these things being unsettled? And I don't think. I mean, for me, I, I haven't seen it personally. Um, not for me
5: personally. But, I think but I'm not involved that, in manufacturing. I agreed. know my wife's company yeah. that she works for. They're feeling these tariffs. They're feeling. They're the, feeling it. Yeah, for sure. It's making things more expensive, and now they're in turn having to raise their prices to the companies they sell to and. Ultimately, it hits the consumer. So it maybe, is being felt.
4: This is where the real inflation comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We got to do a commercial break here. Take some time out to thank the sponsors. And we'll be back in just a few minutes here with more Mortgage Matters.
1: It's time to face some bills. Mortgage Matters will be back in just a few seconds. Join in on the conversation at 805 543 8830 or 1 800
0: 549 5832. In the heart of wine country. In Templeton, home to one of the top school districts. You can own a brand new, beautiful home, not a condo, a home, built by the best, starting for less than $500,000. Introducing Vineyard Creek from Coastal Community Builders, who've been shaping our community for 30 years. Right now, Vineyard Creek, just off Las Tablas Road in Templeton, has plenty of homes to choose from. But with prices starting below $500,000, homes are selling fast. Visit
7: coastalcommunitybuilders.com today. Hey, Brian from AM Sun Solar here. Did you know that if you own a home and have an electric bill, you could miss out on the full 30% solar tax credit this year if you don't act fast? The full 30% tax credit lowers after this year, so you're going to miss out on cash and time is running out. Call AM Sun Solar today to see if your home qualifies for the full 30% solar tax credit. Get your free solar consultation before it's too late. We are already filling up our installation schedule to get the tax credit, so call AM Sun Solar today at 805 777 Seven two six seven eight six, or visit us at amsunsolar.com. AM Sun Solar is located in Paso Robles, so you know you're working with a local company that has the best equipment and a 20% longer workmanship warranty than anyone else in the area. Call us today at 805-772-6786 or visit amsunsolar.com to see if your home qualifies for a solar energy system and the full 30% solar tax credit. That's 805-772-6786
2: Hello, this is Mike Points, a co-host of Mortgage Matters and a licensed loan officer with Central Coast Lending. I'm here to invite you to check out a new podcast at smartretirementpodcast.com. This is a podcast I co-host with Matthew Hollander with Century Financial Consultants that talks about all of the things to focus on to make you a smarter retiree. Things like social security, how to manage your health care, and so much more. So please go to our website, smartretirementpodcast.com and subscribe to our episodes. I hope you enjoy it and I'm sure you'll find it informed.
1: You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 965 with your host the Mortgage Experts from Central Coast Lending. Join in on the conversation at 805-543-8830 or 1-800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
4: Welcome back I just I'm always Interested to hear This song And it's hard to Talk over the lyrics here Because I They're fascinating to me Yeah Yeah
6: Everybody come together
4: Yeah He wear no shoe shine. He got toe jam football Yeah <laughs> it's really That's a Really coherent uh, Strong songwriting For uh, But obviously this song has Had the staying power
6: Absolutely. Yeah. Beatles.
4: Oh, wait. The next verse is great, too. Turn it back up. He got bad production. Wow. They weren't
6: talking about me, were they?
5: <laughs> <laughs> so weird. It made a lot of sense with whatever... Uh, Whatever drug, psychedelic drug. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. he got walrus gumboot. Write that down. Walrus gumboot.
4: I like where you're going with that. Yeah, he got Ono sideboard. Yeah, that goes great after walrus (laughs) gumboot and a spinal cracker. Okay. Yeah. Uh, welcome back, guys people, some of our listeners probably have like an acid flashback right now thinking about that <laughs> song, those lyrics.
6: Well, I'm surprised it hasn't been banned, you know. Some of the things in there are kind of like controversial nowadays in that song.
5: Oh, Yeah, yeah. You look back at anything that's about twenty about that. years or more old, and it's, uh, yeah, probably got, got some controversial elements. Um, about those people's I,
6: eyeballs there. I, I
5: Disney you. now is
4: putting a special warning on to things where um, there was like a more. Or less, I forget the exact term of it, but it's like something that was like culturally acceptable at the time and not today yeah mm. you know yeah. Like, something
6: about lady and the tramp there was like a thing about lady and the trap that actually or, but you're com- like
4: if you ever go back and you watch like the cartoons we used to watch like tom and jerry and oh, stuff yeah. it wouldn't be uncommon for them to be smoking a cigarette and you know just just the, doing things where the, you're like man is this really what's best for little young minds the flintstones
6: they used to they used the characters to promote cigarettes at one point. Oh right, mm-hmm. yeah. Fred and Barney would be out there smoking a Winston, yeah, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? Yeah.
4: them young. Yeah.
6: Philip <laughs> we'll yeah.
4: Morris stock, get it? Yeah. <laughs> um, here's an here's another uh, interesting little tidbit for you about what's going on in our economy. Uh, household debt ticked up 0.7 percent during the third quarter here of 19. Um, continuing a five-year climb, so household consumer debt is um, at about $14 trillion, its highest level ever. Um, it's $1.3 trillion higher than the previous peak, which was set in 2008. And um, these figures, by the way, are not in- adjusted for any type of inflation or um, seasonality to today's economy versus the old economy. This is straight up old. Total up your debts: mortgage, car, student loan, credit card. How much debt are we in? Um, there's the total, and uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, and home loans. So this is great because this is a this is a mortgage show. Mm. Uh, so we we'll start to start to rein it in a little bit here. Um, mortgages remain the largest. Largest chunk of Americans' debt, um, it makes up about two-thirds of it, $9.44 trillion, which is only really up about $31 billion from the prior quarter. Um, student loans climbed a little bit to $1.5 trillion, so almost 10%, a little more than 10% of the country's debt happens to be student loans um, and credit card debt uh rose thirteen billion um so anyhow that uh pretty wild man there's a the credit card debt here looks like it's about um only a couple less i mean it's a less than a trillion dollars but um pretty wild interesting to see all of that and puts it it's always interesting to me because. Two thousand eight. One of the things I believe is that the that correction. You know, there's a couple of great quotes that stand out in my mind about the correction or the recession, great recession, however you want to, however you want to look at it. Um, and I, I really think that one of the ones that really sticks with me is it's just a massive deleveraging mm-hmm. across the board, everything. From households up to major investment banks, and everything was just radically radically deleveraged and uh, you know it's something we know a lot about in the mortgage business i mean we we ultimately fund our loans onto warehouse lines of credit that are provided by credit facilities that are slicing up small chunks of even a bigger credit facility right I mm-hmm. mean if you chase those all the way up to the top, um, these credit facilities kind of what makes the world go round and today you know in order to have a credit facility like that i mean what's the multiple
5: the the credit lines that we have they they want to see a maximum leverage ratio of 15 to 1 so if you have a 15 million dollar line of credit you would have to have a million dollars of liquid liquid cash to support that
4: yeah and do you remember? I mean, I... Oh, they were... <laughs>
5: leverage ratios pre-recession were... 40 to 50 40, to 1. 50 to yeah. 1. Yeah, that was pretty common. So you could scratch
4: up a half a million dollars and pull up a $25 million credit line. Mm-hmm. Yeesh. Um, the... And, and just specifically speaking about the mortgage business in particular, I mean, here here's where... Um, I, I'm not sure... People probably don't get this look under the hood very often, but... Let's say that you're, you know, a company like Central Coast Lending, if we originate a home loan to you and we make some sort of error, you know, like maybe accepting fraudulent documentation uh, inadvertently, the client produces self-employed tax returns and then you, let's say you failed to figure out that they were fraudulent and then you... You didn't do, you know, there's there's multiple ways that we could shake down whether or not tax returns are real, right? Let's just say that you had a breakdown in your process or a bad employee and somehow you get all the way through where you fund a loan on fraudulent tax returns. If that's a $500,000 loan uh, and it turns out that the borrower isn't real or the income isn't real, you're pretty much in the same boat, right? Um mm. If you put that loan onto a warehouse line of credit, uh, they're they're going to have you have a 30, 60, 90 day remedy to get that thing back. Uh, what happens? If you only have 500 grand and you have a bad $500,000 loan, you could be out of business right quick. And so, um, you know, th- those leverage ratios are what it's all about. And so the banks were running at these crazy and allowing consumers, and you know, and this is kind of the tie together down to the consumer level. You remember pre-recession last time? Uh, every it's like mortgages came with a line of credit. Hey, you got yourself oh, yeah. a new thirty-year loan, and and by the way, here's your HELOC. Yeah, it's free for you. Use it if you want to. It's basically like a you know great big credit card for buying jet boats and Hummers and things like that. And um, but credit was free flowing. And end up where the it was almost like the household leverage ratio just didn't matter, right? And this is what stated income loans ultimately epitomized. Well, your real income is just doesn't – we can't make that work. So we're going to do stated income, which essentially means we don't care what your leverage ratio is. We're just going to trust your good judgment to be able to make this payment right. or not. Um, and so anyhow, we find ourselves in a place today where the household leverage is pretty high. I mean, the debt is all time high. I do feel good in the mortgage world about loans being, um, we really understand your income well, right? Um, but car loan and credit card loan. Uh, I got a thing yesterday on my city card that popped up and said, uh, tell us again how much money you make. We want to increase your credit line. You got it. Here's my income. Yep. Submit. Thank you. Our records are up to date. You're welcome. That was easy.
5: <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I didn't have to go get, I mean, the verification process is rigorous, right? It's crazy. It's you, daunting. You type in a number, you hit submit and then they accept it at face value. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got to look into the car loan business recently.
4: Same thing. What's your income? Got it. Put that right down right here. Any other income you want considered? Um, interesting. They don't want to verify it at all. So mortgage-wise, I feel confident that we're doing a really good job of making sure people aren't over-leveraged.
5: There's a burden That's- imposed upon the mortgage world. Uh, Out of Dodd Frank called (laughs) ATR. Ability to repay. Yeah. So there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, book basically written about you got to prove that in order to make a mortgage in today's world, you got to prove that that person can repay the mortgage within the term of the loan. That's the ability to repay requirement. So it's interesting that that requirement wasn't expanded to include other consumer debt.
4: I just quickly looked up because you said a book. <laughs> like, I was like, a book? That's a, I don't know. An epic <laughs> novel. I'm struggling
5: with vocabulary today. 848 <laughs> pages long is Dodd-Frank. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it a book. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not exactly light reading. No.
4: <laughs> but yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, we have a, a significant burden now to make sure that we can document and demonstrate a borrower's ability to repay. And if you cannot, um, it doesn't necessarily preclude you from being able to make the loan. It can make it ineligible to sell to, like, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, that what we call the GSEs, but um, you also there's requirements about keeping a stake in that loan. And, mm-hmm. you know, once you do sell, you have to keep a 5% investment. And I mean, it just gets sloppy quick to where... The majority of lending, I'd venture to say, over ninety nine percent of of mortgage related lending right now is is meeting that criteria because the complexity and the exposure to be operating outside that world. Because also, let's just say it's 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 very common sense, and if anything, I would argue it errs a bit on the side of being uh, a little bit too easy. You know, some of the requirements are a little bit too easy to meet. Using gross income to qualify for your debt to income ratio calculation, things like this, where it's like, yeah, but he doesn't, he, sure, this guy gets 60 grand a year, but he doesn't put $5,000 a month into his bank account. So are you sure you want to let him have a 50% debt to income ratio, which is $2,500 a month? I get that calculation looks fine. But when we look over at, the like your life, that- <laughs> your life, you got a thousand bucks if you're skipping health care, buddy. Uh, and you're skipping car insurance. You don't have a car loan and you don't have a student loan. You know, there's there, other things that when you start to to get down into it is like, man, you could be running people real thin. And again, this is meeting those requirements. So if anything, I'd say that they're they're a little bit um, loosey goosey from where they might should be. Uh, and, you know, it's, that, that's not true for all types of borrowers and all loan programs. But by and large, I would say if we were, if we were just setting up a new planet today and we were going to determine lending guideline and regulation from this day forward, you would probably say, you know, let's be smarter than this coming out of the gate. But today's guidelines are attempting to still accommodate and kind of serve and help people that were already in a tough spot pre-recession and pre-regulation um and so it's always been like well let's well let's do an expanded loan limit and let's uh, let's allow people to have negative equity and let's let's look favorably upon their credit issue so there's been a lot of accommodations that have just become part of the normal operating procedure um that are too difficult just to go strip out right oh anyway we gotta do the final commercial break here this hour And we'll be back in about two minutes with more Mortgage Matters.
1: Stay tuned. More from the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending in just seconds. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5.
4: Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We're using low down payment programs and down payment assistance programs to help folks just like you buy their first home. You may not need to save and wait as long as you think. Are you ready to explore homeownership? Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved.
0: Just call 543 load Central Coast, Central Coast Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. In the heart of wine country, in Templeton, home to one of the top school districts, you can own a brand new, beautiful home, not a condo, a home, built by the best starting for less than five hundred thousand dollars introducing vineyard creek from coastal community builders who've been shaping our community for 30 years right now vineyard creek just off las tablas road in templeton has plenty of homes to choose from but with prices starting below five hundred thousand dollars homes are selling fast visit
7: coastalcommunitybuilders.com today Hey, Brian from AM Sun Solar here. Did you know that if you own a home and have an electric bill, you could miss out on the full 30% solar tax credit this year if you don't act fast? The full 30% tax credit lowers after this year, so you're going to miss out on cash and time is running out. Call AM Sun Solar today to see if your home qualifies for the full 30% solar tax credit. Get your free solar consultation before it's too late. We are already filling up our installation schedule to get the tax credit, so call AM Sun Solar today at 805 777 Seven two six seven eight six, or visit us at amsunsolar.com. AM Sun Solar is located in Paso Robles, so you know you're working with a local company that has the best equipment and a 20% longer workmanship warranty than anyone else in the area. Call us today at 805-772-6786 or visit amsunsolar.com to see if your home qualifies for a solar energy system and the full 30% solar tax credit. That's 805-772-6786.
4: Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We believe that cell phone apps are great for some things and wrong for others. When it comes to something as significant as a mortgage, use our team of mortgage experts. Leave the apps for ordering pizza, not for buying a home. Use your phone for its original purpose and give us a call today.
0: Just call 543 low with a mortgage Experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast, Central Coast lending, lending is an equal housing lender. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. You're tuned in to Mortgage
1: Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11. If you missed any part of the show, check out the podcast at centralcoastlending.com. Now, back to the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending.
6: People are
3: when it's strange,
4: when strange. strange. This was uh, when My wife showed strange. me a meme this week of. Um, it said something about like the first time you wrecked your credit. <laughs> it was uh, that Columbia House offer where you get to get like 12 cassette tapes oh, yeah. for, a for a penny. Yeah. yeah. And so, like. My my um, kids were listening. My wife laughed, right, because... Well, don't, you have to buy one at regular price, right? Yeah. In the next 12 months or something. Right. which yeah, And bad. regular price like way more than your local music shop. It was like, you know, 23 bucks for like a tape or something. Anyway, my kids were sitting right there. My wife pointed at me and we both had a good chuckle. Yeah. And uh, my kids were like, what is that? What does that mean? What's Columbia House? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And then my wife was like, well, there used to be... This thing where, you know, you get 12 tapes for a penny and my daughter's like, well, what's a tape? Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cassette. It was like this, you know, thing that you put into a tape player to play music and made music come out. Oh, why would you have to buy that? Like, it's yeah. just so detached from music right. having a cost. Music's free now. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. then, and so we laughed and like, you know, so you get 12 of them and then you have to buy one more at regular price, but. Very few people ever bought that one more. I think it was really like it was like six more or something mm-hmm. because there was a selection of the month that, unless you responded back to say, No, I don't want Zappa's greatest hit, you were, hits, getting, you were yeah. gonna get it with a bill, right. right? And then you couldn't really send it back very easily because yeah. you know, shipping wasn't as easy then as it is now. No so what a what a scam though that tapes oh, yeah. thing oh, it was that's scary. how i acquired like 50 percent of my music back then did you and, and you fulfilled the contract i like, always fulfilled it everything? yeah
5: because even yeah by the time you got 20 i, I wasn't buying tapes i was buying cds yeah. <laughs> by the time you got 20 cds you were um you know you're spending like maybe a hundred bucks it was a pretty Eight bucks a cd five deal. bucks a cd yeah. but yeah well, yeah and know, like it's great else. when you're a kid How? and you have no library of music. Yeah, There's but so much good stuff you're out there. You're,
4: like, so far, much farther ahead, though. I mean, I did the tape thing, and I I, I got myself into trouble with that tape thing. I won't tell the whole story because I don't. <laughs> Does anybody I, I, do
6: remember k No. KTL Records, like
4: Records? Like,
6: k- you know, it was the same basic thing. It was on TV, and they'd have all these songs. Oh, right, right. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Huh.
4: Like, like the compilation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly.
6: Yeah. The best of the 80s. So anyway, I got myself
4: into trouble with it. Yeah. I was in seventh grade, yeah. and it was tapes. Um, I don't remember CDs becoming a real part of my life until later, like eighth grade, ninth grade. In fact... So the next year. I wa- yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I was still straddling that line, though, where I had a ton of tapes. I had a <coughs> tape collection that was pretty robust, and... <laughs> I was reticent to switch over into this new fancy CD right. thing because I wasn't going to buy what I already owned. Um, and I also wasn't sure that the CD thing was going to stick around. Right. And I also didn't have a CD player. Um, I got a CD, I, I won a swag bag in this snowboarding competition. That winter, and I was given a CD. I remember specifically the first CD I ever owned before was C&C Music Factory.
5: I got that one, too. That was one of my first... I think that was in my first Columbia House shipment, yeah, I along so. with some good classic rock. and Yeah, yeah. C&C Music Factory yeah. is a good one. Uh, we through it <laughs> like a frisbee <laughs>
4: uh out in the snow in, at the ski resort parking lot we all had them right oh, yeah. what is this nobody even has this is junk what's the cnc music factory thing somehow i still did end up with a copy of it but we were all out there chucking these things around like they were frisbees because uh we had no other way of uh using it at all <laughs>
5: um yeah wow,
6: columbia house is still in business really
5: that's surprising yeah well, it must be a whole right. different business.
6: Now. Well, yeah, they're
5: probably looking.
4: It's probably a little bit different, but they're probably looking for other um, countries or places where those people are just that far behind. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> they don't have ability to stream Apple Music. Oh, today.
5: T- DVDs now. Yeah, there mm. we go. Because you should be buying DVDs, <laughs> right? There's don't a, buy them in Amazon. And there's keep a the DVD
4: library. store in atascadero Dave's video or something like that. It's not what it's called. But it's like that. It's a dude's name. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's right next to the grocery store, which is, like, where the red box is. And this dude was having a sale. And I'm like, oh, it's just unfortunate. You're just going to, like, watch yourself just shrivel up and die trying to rent DVDs. man. I thought that for, like, the last seven years. This dude just moved. <laughs> He's got a new building. Uh, Renting DVDs in a Tascadero. So. I think that
5: there's a lot of people that still like to do that. I found out not too long ago To go
4: walk through the aisles Yeah, and you look get to go see the, see the titles right there, oh, decide. The one you want is out, so then you see a dude come in and throw some through the drop, and you're like, what was that? What'd yeah. Yeah. What did he oh, yeah, yeah, turn in? What did he turn in? Did he just that. turn in Forrest yeah. Gump? Was that Forrest Gump? <laughs> I'm looking for Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah.
4: Sir, we have a list for Forrest Gump.
6: <laughs> I just saw Forrest Gump on TV the other day. Mm-mm. I was like flipping through. I was like,
4: Forrest Gump. It's okay, uh, I got to watch hard that. not to get stuck yeah, on that one. It was free. Yeah. Right, shrimp
6: gumbo, shrimp scam. We're
4: going to get accused of <laughs> rambling again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... During the break, I was telling Dan, I, I emailed my our financial advisor and asked him <laughs> about taking a, a cash position in some of the investments, which I would admit that uh, that's got to be the worst question in the world that you ever want to hear as a financial advisor. But um, anyhow, the Dow closed over 28000 That's uh, a new record? Oh, yeah. I was trying to think back to uh, what was all the hype, man? A few years ago, with all crossing twenty was thousand was a big deal. Or was yeah, seventeen.
5: Well, I mean, pre-election, uh, we were—I want to say—we were right around 16, 17, maybe approaching eighteen thousand in the in the Dow. And then right after is when it eclipsed twenty thousand, which is a big milestone, obviously. Right, and then it's just—it hasn't looked back since. And
4: check us out, yeah, at twenty-eight thousand now um pretty wild mhm i mean it's it's
5: exceptionally high um at the same time we're setting new records in all the different stock indices um i heard this week the that trump was calling for us to go into negative interest rates he wants to see the fed slash rates to negative because other countries hey, are doing it listen typically associated with a failing economy but listen. go ahead i'm
4: listening I asked this of Mike, um, and it was one of those things that just sort of came out of my mouth, but um, I'll ask you the same thing. Is he
5: wrong? That we want negative interest rates? Yes. Sure. Wrong. Why? Because. We, don't, we <laughs> because. don't need it. Because I said so. We don't need negative interest rates. Hey, man. Um, I I
4: challenged myself to sort of... Think this through for a few few minutes about, um, this guy can't, this dude's president of the United States. He can't be that disconnected from reality, right? This feels weird to me. Dude can't spell. I started thinking. He can't spell. I started thinking, (laughs) um, hey man, some of the smartest people I know can't spell. All right. And you know, Einstein never even had socks on that matched because he was just too smart for it. You know. He was
5: just ahead of his time. That's a thing today.
4: That's true too. <laughs> but but so hear me out on the interest rate thing. Like here's the first first question here. Um, I mean, ult- ultimately, first question is: is he wrong? And and <clears throat> got to be instead of being quick to just say, yeah, we don't need it. We're not there. It's not the recession. Um, Start thinking about how like one of the things that Trump said in one of his tweets was how. Other countries
5: are at zero or below the failing economies around the world. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I get it,
4: but it's not even that they're necessarily failing as much as they're doing everything that they can to put themselves at a competitive advantage to create growth. And I look at that and he said, so why should we be at a disadvantage to any other country that has the ability to manipulate basically to manipulate their economy into a place where
5: you can't not grow. How does that put us at a disadvantage that their interest rates are lower than ours? They could. Just, Where's the competitive advantage? Because from it's just
4: making it cheaper. Cheaper to what? Well, I mean, I think you could—you'd have to dive down into really specific examples, but
5: it's creating more inflation—an inflationary environment to try to get money circulating through their respective right. economies. So if we don't. The problem domestically with economic activity, in my opinion, this is why I think he's wrong, isn't about the level of interest rates today. It's about the level of discretionary income among the largest population, the large segment sure, of Americans. But if
4: you drop the interest cost to the consumer, you increase the it's, discretionary it's income. So
5: it's such a a minimal change in
4: their You say that, but at the same time I'm you own a mortgage company. So you see how saving a half a point could change somebody's bottom line of three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, sure. Three hundred dollars a money. month.
5: Yeah, but how about getting a raise of a thousand dollars a month? I mean, that, if you can save a few hundred bucks a month, that's great. And that's a one-time event, most likely, when you're refinancing a mortgage. That's the biggest debt you have where you can save an actual meaningful amount of money. Right. There's nothing else. So once you refi your house, then what? <laughs> then what? So everyone who's refinancing today into a three and a half interest rate, when if our Fed goes, okay, we'll do negative interest rates, let's say mortgage rates just stay where they are, then what? How does that help us? What helps our economy do more is get more money into the eighty percent of the population that that will spend. You know? There's not this discretionary income available to such a large population of America, and that's what's holding our economy back. That's I mean, that's my opinion. I don't think interest rate manipulation is the way to spur on meaningful economic activity. I, I feel well, like rates are low. I mean,
4: the biggest thing though that that you might be missing, or that we just haven't talked through yet, is that when there's a negative interest rate environment, it means that um, banks and other financial firms have to keep excess reserves stored at the central bank rather than receive. Any positive income on those monies. So the banks then are incented to move their excess reserves out, which is then going to be used in, in a broader liquidity sense. So it has a function at a bigger level that causes the movement of money within the economy that isn't necessarily just you saving interest rate on the debt you have, But finding lending opportunity, borrowing opportunity, money in motion, because the banks are disincented to keep above excess reserves. So there's bigger bigger play. Uh, Top of the break, getting forced out, got all the big hand signs here, so we got to go. We have about a five-minute commercial break here, and when we get back, we have a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. Hope you'll stick around.
1: You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11. If you missed any part of the show, check out the podcast at centralcoastlending.com. Now, back to the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending.
5: Here we are, we're back, we're ready to rock.
4: We are rocking. We
5: are rocking currently. And Phil, we missed you during the break. If you're out there and you want to call back in with your question or comment, we'd love to hear from you. 543 yeah. 8830. That's the number to the studio. It still
6: gets crazy from time to
5: time. It does get crazy. Some of the craziest moments are during that top of the hour break when we're out in the uh, yeah. the green room getting heated.
6: There it is. Right? <laughs> getting all pumped for the next circuit.
5: Just because the uh, commercials come on doesn't mean the conversation stops. Yeah, we're so nerdy, we walked out there and just kept talking.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, and I'll give you guys a Cliff Notes version here. Yeah. We continue the conversation on about negative interest rates and how um, we, we don't see eye to eye on this. In fact, I can't really even say that I don't, I don't know. You're
5: more in a speculative speculative kind of Completely. Mode of thinking.
4: I, I completely am and just willing to say that I don't know. Um, I, I think about this like in terms of um, – man. So like back to the TARP day, right? We had the the frozen credit markets where from mortgage all the way down through auto, credit, everywhere, um, banks were having real liquidity issues. And so they weren't able to lend – money, they really didn't have money. They had a lot of bad debt. Um, and so TARP came along to everybody and said, hey, you get some money, you get some money, you get some money. And interestingly enough, there were some firms that came along and said, well, we don't want your money. We don't need your money. They said, it's mandatory. Here's your money. And you're going to get it, and you're going to owe us money on it. So you're going to get it. You better figure out what to do with it, get it out into the economy, give these people the lift that they need, Um, let's get this country on track, right? Crazy idea. Um, The companies paid back their TARP funds. Um, It was ultimately a profitable endeavor. Some companies got TARP monies and went on to fail, right? So that went to the wayside but by the end of it you know after all the payback came back with the interest and everything the way that it was intended to work it worked and um, it's pretty wild right a huge huge experiment Um, I sort of think about this in that light of and remember back then let's talk about let's talk about back then with the frozen credit environment because we talked about this then quite a bit Uh, here's a great example right we had companies that Um, like GM, right? Huge national, international, just huge company with money in motion in about every way that you could ever imagine, up to and including providing warehouse lines of credit to people. I mean, they, they just had their hands in everything. And then they had a major liquidity issue. And to boot, when it was all going down, they're shutting down factories. They're laying off workers. People can't qualify to buy the cars. They got bad credit, but the banks also aren't loaning money to buy the cars because they don't have, you know, so the government comes in and does some things, right? We had cash for clunkers and we had, you know, subsidizing the the rate market there to the consumer to be able to get them to buy a car. Uh, but bottom line is it took physical manipulation of the available money to get things moving from the top down and from the bottom up. It was it was a concerted effort across the board. Um, and in one of the things about GM that I also thought was fascinating too, they provided lines of credit when they could to other companies that use them to make payroll, right? They have making their widgets and shipping them all over the world and all the distributors and all the accounting, all the thing. When Friday comes, they make their payroll. They might put, you know— half a million dollars or 10 million dollars or whatever some of these companies that use those credit lines for payroll would be using those to smooth out um the 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 cash flow issues of their given business whatever it is right and when those were thawed when those were frozen they were their hands are cuffed right once those are thawed it gets them back to being able to move and to do business and to let people have inventory on the shelves for longer and all these kind of things that would have an overall lift to the broader economy, right? That driving back towards that consumer spending component that means so much. So that context is the way that I think about that. And then when I look at this, I'm like, and this is like what I said to you about Trump. Is he wrong? And I I say that. People can't see this. I'm turning my head and I'm squinting a little bit and kind of making a crooked smile out of the corner of my mouth when I say, is he wrong? Because is that – and, and again, we don't know this, right? I don't know this. And this is why you you're, you say that I might have a little bit more of a speculative viewpoint. OK, I'll accept that. I'm just willing to say, you know, I really don't know. The U.S. has never done negative interest rates before. And would it have that same effect? Even though the economy is not bad, it's good. But would it get a meaningful lift if those rates were lower and those banks were not only incented to lend that money, but a little bit penalized if they didn't. And, you know, and again, I I, your
5: your whole argument is based on the idea that TARP funds resulted in more consumer spending. (laughs) <laughs> you're not you're not giving credit necessarily to just people getting jobs back. You know. But don't they get those jobs that same way? Partially, but let's think about what TARP funds were also used for. They're used for stock buybacks, which helped those sure. those big big boys at the top. Let's see. Um I don't know. I mean you know, I look even at the tax the tax cut or plan or whatever from a year ago. Um, a lot of the corporate savings there went towards stock buybacks and stuff. I don't know. You were talking about if if we're in this negative interest rate environment, it kind of promotes leveraging oh, amongst yeah. our financial inst- Th- this institutions. This is the part where, like, I, I'll so now we're getting back right into away. major
4: risk mode. I'll concede right away. Is it means. And, and, again, like we were talking out during the break, I, Trump's come from a life where, man, it's all about leverage, borrowing, investing, making things happen. Um, and if, you know, when you look at the average consumer, like let's just take your life, how much better off are you if we make your ability to borrow just go through the roof, buddy? Um, <laughs> it's probably not a good thing. You don't – now, it might be different if you were – A mechanic that could add on to your shop, put in another bay and another lift and another rollaway of tools. If you could borrow that at a lower rate, maybe um, that might make some sense Uh, in in that. That's the question. That's what my inquisitive mind wants to know is. Is that where the lift comes? Because if so. I can kind of get on board with that. If it means that Apple can somehow, at their crazy scale, can be able to knock a 100 bucks off an iPhone because of negative interest
5: rates and so people buy them more, um, okay. Uh, Maybe I'm cynical towards these big corporations because when you talk about Apple, if they get some reduction in – in carry cost on something, I, I see them probably pocketing that money and not changing the price of the iPhone to the consumer. Maybe. Um, maybe, Dan, I don't know, But I, but but I do feel that, like this this environment you're talking create about more jobs? does benefit the big corporations. Would they need and, new buildings? I don't know. They just got one. Would they need new
4: distribution?
5: I don't think a point new and a sales? half lower Fed funds rate results in uh, a major shift in the planning among these big corporations. I don't think it moves the needle. Honestly, that's me because ultimately those big companies are selling product to the majority of the population, the, the 99%, not the 1%, right? That's their target audience. And if those people don't have the available discretionary income to buy, then no, Apple's not building the new building because rates are a point and a half lower.
4: Dan, for president 2020, your campaign sucks, buddy. <laughs> it just sucks. I'm so like, hey, let's
5: this. not do things that are, that are normally done in the worst of economic times. Let's not do that. I think the way you really make meaningful change to the economy, to the, the broad population is through tax reform. You know, like I said, this whole week, two weeks, in fact, all that's been talked about on the financial news networks is Elizabeth Warren's tax plan, the wealth tax. And they've had billionaires on. They've had a number of them. They've had Bill Gates. They've had uh, blank fine or Stein or whatever from Goldman Sachs.
6: Did you hear something about her wanting to tax up to 150 percent?
5: Is there? Uh, I mean, that's do, not even like, possible. Yes, I've heard that there's no. the... 2 and 3% wealth taxes, depending on your wealth levels. So I'm a little out of the loop on that. But that kind of does stuff. But
4: the, does the money, does it add up at the end of the day? I haven't done the math.
5: taking the money from I don't rich subs- people? I think it's like, I think we're focused on the wrong thing, right? Okay. There's, there's something called your marginal tax rate. And that's like the rate you're, I, the definition is the rate you paid on your last dollar earned. Right? So if you're in the whatever category that's the 37% tax bracket, then your effective or your marginal tax rate is 37%. That's the rate you paid on your last dollar earned. Your effective tax rate is what you actually paid in taxes. That's no, like, the rate we should like, actually care about. Like after I
4: buy my fishing license and my You know, like like when DMV a fee four, and my luxury tax four
5: election cycles ago when Mitt Romney's tax returns came out and he made twenty million dollars and his effective tax rate was like fourteen percent, and I looked at mine and I was like, Why is my effective tax rate in the twenties and his is in the teens and he's got better lawyers and, than you and do. he made like a hundred times more money than me. That's what we need to worry about. And here's what I look at. I've looked at these numbers, right? The U.S. government budget is a little over $4 trillion. That's what they spend. Um, the income tax side, all the money we bring in from taxes makes up about 50% of what we spend. So for the last year, for twenty nineteen eighteen. we... Uh, Total bucks. taxes were just under $2 trillion. Where do you make it? Here's the other what's half? crazy to me um, through fees and other, other things. But, you know, so we're, our country runs based on getting revenue of about $2 trillion from taxes, from income taxes. Individual income runs at about $10 to $12 trillion a year. Corporate earnings. Run at about ten trillion dollars a year. So if there's roughly twenty plus trillion dollars a year of taxable income, then the marginal tax rate. Why is about isn't everyone 10%? just paying a ten percent tax rate? It's because of loopholes and other BS in the tax code that needs to get fixed. Imagine if everybody just paid ten percent taxes. Imagine how everyone CPAs would be happy, right out of business. Everyone would be happy, right? No. Our, because the problem we have is the 70% tax on the wealthiest of Americans right now that Warren's proposing or your wealth tax. Um, you know, even right now, the way it works out, it goes from like 15 or 12 to 37. Well, here, well I'm but, talking about everybody getting problem, down
4: though. to 10%. Let's say Trump makes a million bucks. So he pays a hundred grand. Sure. And You feel good about that. Sure. Now let's talk about this, uh, these folks downtown here that make thirty six grand. Sure. That thirty six hundred bucks to them means way more than the
5: million bucks. I got a plan for that. Oh. So I'd seduce- say you find yourself a <laughs> we'll call it for lack of a better term, a poverty line. You know, like you need to just make this amount of money to live and have shelter and food and basic utilities and things. Whatever that cutoff is, you pay a symbolic fee, a flat fee as your tax, and then everyone above that line pays a percentage. It's boom, In fact, I'll even, boom. My, <laughs> I'll even tweak my model a little bit more. We find a high water mark where you're quote unquote, "rich," and you pay 12 percent, and then everybody between the you know, so-called poverty line and the high watermark line there, they pay maybe eight or nine percent, and then everyone below pays a flat fee. There we go. Everybody in my plan just got a tax cut, right? The rate has been cut. Now we can all go to our cocktail parties talking about our nice low. I only paid 10%. I only paid 11%. You know, it's great. Everybody feels great about that. Everybody's taking home more money and everybody's paying their fair share. Do we all feel good about that in this room? Would you like to pay 10% in taxes? Yeah. Yeah? I think so. I feel good about that. You feel good if like the millionaires and billionaires are paying 10%? No. You don't feel but, good about uh, that? I don't. Know. You want them to pay a little more. Yeah. You I like my pay. you like my 12 and 8 plan? Yeah, that might be. That one's better. Ooh. All right, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Bipartisan crew here. We just agreed on some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
6: And Dan just got a Dan got a word in Edgewise for a while, too. Dan
5: twenty. Well, I've been thinking about it pretty <laughs> a lot for 2 weeks here because it's been in my face every day. I, I feel like I we're thought, focused on this marginal rate that's that's not even a rate that anyone pays. I
4: thought that, uh, well, that's not true, though, because something like less than 50% of Americans even pay taxes. Right. And a lot some <laughs> of those are of, big earners. <laughs> that we know of. Right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, one of my favorite things, this chick that's cut my hair for years, I love her to death. She's a good friend of mine. Um, b- big, big Bernie supporter. Okay no income tax doesn't pay income tax it's a cash business man just sock away that thing and then but all the while though oh trump's this disgusting mess and all all these rich people and you know getting subsidies and you know and i look at the thing and i'm like check you out because i I, i'll lay my cards on him we show you what i paid last year in taxes okay it's Enough to make you feel sick to the stomach, which I think is how most tax-paying Americans feel. But when you go over and you look at other people that aren't paying anything, that are living lavishly because their dollars a dollar, you know? My my dollar is 60 cents. That dollar is a dollar. And they're not paying anything at all. So I, I feel like that's one of the other biggest issues is if you want any meaningful tax reform, I say we get rid of uh, – paper and coin currency move over into the digital world where any if you unless you're bartering an egg for a cob of corn here you're going to end up going through the system where everybody does have to the commerce is
5: actually recorded and paid i think that's happening regardless i mean that that's the way money transacts anymore but here with what i'm saying i mean essentially a flat tax type of proposal it it removes but all those I, so loopholes. It just I, everybody pays. I mean, because right now taxes are nonpartisan. I help everyone wants to pay less, and everyone wants to complain about everyone else around them not paying enough.
4: Agreed. So let's I fix helped that. a guy on Lincoln Street with a refi. Well, tempted to help him. It, it wasn't actually a successful transaction. He owned two houses, one of which had a very small mortgage on it; the other one did not. And I was trying to help him. Um, he had an adjustable rate interest only loan kind of hangover loan from pre recession era and, uh, really couldn't qualify for a loan. And he was doing some really careful planning of trying to figure out how to qualify for a loan without showing enough income to lose his healthcare subsidy, mm-hmm. which was set to his household income from that, I forget what the calculation was. He needed to be like under thirty six thousand dollars a year or forty eight thousand dollars a year or something along these lines. And it just wasn't enough to be able to qualify for the loans. Um, like also because part of the rental income was like, you know, a family friend that paid rent and cash kind of thing. And so but no, see this guy owns two houses in downtown San Luis Obispo, one of which doesn't even have a mortgage on it, and he's over here playing an income shell game to try to keep his health care subsidy alive. Everyone, that's why I everyone thought, does that. That's stuff. why I thought we were going to get. Um, remember that, like you'll file your taxes on a postcard, right? It did get simpler. And for me, the know. forms just, just more got confusing. Different. <laughs> it just was, got different. I was so good at <laughs> analyzing taxes uh, all the way up until this twenty eighteen ten forty. Now I'm like, oh, I gotta slow down. What yeah. line's it
5: on? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's there still. It's just in a new
4: spot. They change the shape of they it. They changed
5: the format.
4: They change the shape. It's all the same stuff.
5: We got to take a break here. We're, uh, we're at 1025. We're having a great conversation. If you'd like to join us, give us a call, 543-8830. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters.
1: Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5.
5: The mortgage experts
1: from Central
3: Coast Lending will be back in just a few minutes.
0: In the heart of wine country, in Templeton, home to one of the top school districts, you can own a brand new, beautiful home, not a condo, a home, built by the best, starting for less than $500,000. Introducing Vineyard Creek from Coastal Community Builders, who've been shaping our community for 30 years. Right now, Vineyard Creek, just off Las Tablas Road in Templeton, has plenty of homes to choose from. But with prices starting below $500,000, homes are selling fast. Visit
7: CoastalCommunityBuilders.com today. Hey, Brian from AM Sun Solar here. Did you know that if you own a home and have an electric bill, you could miss out on the full 30% solar tax credit this year if you don't act fast? The full 30% tax credit lowers after this year, so you're going to miss out on cash and time is running out. Call AM Sun Solar today to see if your home qualifies for the full 30% solar tax credit. Get your free solar consultation before it's too late. We are already filling up our installation schedule to get the tax credit, so call AM Sun Solar today at 805 777 Seven two six seven eight six, or visit us at amsunsolar.com. AM Sun Solar is located in Paso Robles, so you know you're working with a local company that has the best equipment and a 20% longer workmanship warranty than anyone else in the area. Call us today at 805-772-6786 or visit amsunsolar.com to see if your home qualifies for a solar energy system and the full 30% solar tax credit. That's 805-772-6786.
1: to mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 and fm 96.5 with your host the mortgage experts from central coast lending join in on the conversation at 805-543-8830 or 1-800-549-5832 now back to the show
4: All right, everybody. Welcome back. Dan, I see your tax plan and I raise you Jason for president
5: 2020. Wow. Are you ready? Sure. I love everything. I love as me. long as I'm your Veep and you yeah. uh, listen to some of my ideas. We I got love the
6: grody Podesto ticket.
5: Right. There you go. That- I
4: love most of what you have to say because you're coming from the right place, man. Really are
5: well. Think. I mean, we were talking about what low interest rates mean when you refinance a large debt in your life, your oh. mortgage, and you save four hundred dollars a month. A meaningful. Think amount Think about money. this. That person bringing five grand a month home, or you know, gross pay of five grand a month. That's getting thirty five hundred. Let's say they're yeah, dollars on your plan. Thirty seven. Yeah, they're getting forty five hundred dollar take home. So here's my. That's a here's big list.
4: Here's my plan. First of all. I think we'd be better off if the US was broken into fifty countries. (laughs) Okay. And each state could just go to be their own. You could opt in or not into being part of like the the federal protection. Um, I think we just need to defer more decision making power to states. Do away with income tax entirely as we know it. Zero revenue. All consumption. Consumption-based only. And here's what I love about it. Hey, Mr. Hotshot Rapper guy, with the ice teeth and the $500,000 chains and you're driving a $4 million Bugatti, guess what, champ? You are paying on everything consumption. Popping the Cristal at the club at $1,000 a bottle. You're just everything consumption-based. And so you got all those guys, right? You want to fly your corporate jet? Fly away. You're paying all the consumption all the way through. No write-offs. Not getting out of it. We do away with the tax code system in it entirely. Earn what you earn. Take it all. Okay? However... You're going to end up paying for everything that you consume, all your consumables, and then likewise, we could probably deal with um, something – you'd probably have to address how it's inherited then because you'd end up with some people like, you know, that just don't ever spend the money. What's that one super rich guy drives old Volvo? <laughs> Never spend the money, know. right? Anyway, because um, then you go down to the other end of the spectrum, right? And you got that – that single mom that's making thirty six thousand dollars a year and can't really afford to pay even a ten percent tax, she's struggling with health care and diapers and you know medicine for the kid that's got a peanut allergy. Whatever the deal is, it's just hard right there, right? Um, she could get um, she's gonna be taxed less because she's consuming less. She doesn't have a Bugatti. She doesn't. She's not getting the newest model of iPhone every time it comes out. Um,
5: I'm open to this idea. I think the bigger message is that there are other ways to lift the majority of then, the population economically than by cutting the Fed funds rate to negative, you know, because I think that in itself benefits those with the largest amount of debt, which happens to probably be the people with the most amount of money
4: to wrap up the conversation about the Fed funds rate. I am a firm believer. I'm
5: parenting kids right
4: now, okay, and I um, I got some high school kids, and um, sometimes you just got to take things to an extreme to make a point, okay, and it gets becomes valuable where the it's a difficult decision to make, and you get so again, you got to take it to an extreme to sort of extrapolate out what true consequences are. And this is the part. I'm going to go back. I don't know. Are you going to tell us you're like down a kid now, but the other two are really scared? I'm only asking (laughs) you, just like this conversation began, I'm only asking you, is he wrong? Is Trump wrong for wanting negative interest rates? It's worth thinking about, right? Sure. I went down this rabbit hole myself. Now, we've gone down it pretty extensively together, and I hope some people out there are thinking about it too. But let's just finalize it. From my end here, let's just take it to extreme. Fed funds rate of 10, fed funds rate a 10. In which environment, if you had to pick one of those two roads tomorrow for national growth, economy, everything going on, which one are you picking? Short-term or long-term benefit? I don't care. I'm going to take 10%
5: on the positive side.
4: So your economy is going to grind to a nasty halt overnight.
5: Well... Yeah, but at least we won't have like crazy inflation where from hour to hour my dollar is getting devalued <laughs> exponentially.
4: Yeah? Maybe <laughs> I mean, not. I mean, the, but the bottom line there though is like if you if you think about those on the extreme, what it really means is man, neither one of them is is great. Um we're probably better off using our best judgment to get down into understanding the impacts of both and trying to make trim tab adjustments of both. Yeah. Let's and keep
5: watching these economies with their a, negative let, interest rates. Let's, let's, let's see how Fed, they
4: perform. Let's have a Fed sit down and figure it out and not have – I mean, thank God Trump doesn't have the ability just to hit that button, um, right? Yeah. Because he would have already. We know what he would have done. For sure. We'd probably be at negative three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But why stop there if it's working, right? Sure. Um, but, you know, so bottom line is I I feel like I do. I really appreciate the Fed. I think it's unfortunate the way they're getting leaned on. I read an article this week about George H. Was super upset with Greenspan for not cutting rates more during his presidency. Mm-hmm. Believed it had a real effect and was like, yeah, I get it. Um, I'm glad it's a, an independent are you thinking back if that math is correct
5: h is the
4: first bush yeah okay yeah
5: because i was like wait w junior had cuts the whole time he like started by <laughs> yeah. by starting you know a, a war <laughs> and uh and there was a whole rate cut during his whole tenure
4: <laughs> perhaps
5: anyway i i'd, I'd you know, I I think that there are some things that we should be looking at with all this narrative about wealth taxes and and these extreme ideas. I feel like there's a practical uh, side of all this that needs to be looked at. Dan, uh, I look really down at my computer right now
4: to kind of get going into my next topic here. I need you to know this. I just got notice of settlement of claims made to class members evidently i was a part of a class action lawsuit here um and i'm getting 24 bucks per device
5: excellent that's from, excellent from, news from apple i'm glad you shared for that the iphone this.
4: 4 the iphone 4s and the iphone 5 so that's the that's how we boost consumer spending yeah, all those class action lawsuits make me laugh. Like the lawyers make a hundred million dollars off of getting the settlement, and then you get like eight bucks from AT and T. I
6: always think that's funny too because we're actually running one right now, where they have all these disclaimers at the very beginning of it. It's for like half the half the commercial is disclaimer, and then oh, you could get money for this Have you've done that, you know, or yeah, have this ad- happened to you.
4: Advertising is getting better now of like throwing your side effect or your government requirement or your whatever in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So then it almost sounds like the prior ad. So then your ad comes on and then it's over without all that stuff that leaves the bad taste in your mouth.
6: Yeah. So this one thing for a flu, some sort of a flu thing last night and where one of the side effects you, you could get bronchitis like, well, gee, I got the bronchitis over the flu. I don't know. <laughs> you
4: know? Well, I see that's the ones crazy. that's like, you know, some ailment you have, and then the medicine and the side effect is like, um, you know, it's like paralysis, yeah. equally bad like, if yeah. not worse. It's like ailments. paralysis, liver <laughs> uh, failure, and yeah. in some cases even death. And I'm um, like, dang, dude, I'll take
5: the hair loss. I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the hair loss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man how are you running
4: through those stop signs I'll ju- I'm, just yeah. I'm just gonna wear a hat i'm just gonna wear yeah. a hat it'll be fun yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah
4: i'm good. pretty wild all right, we got to do the final commercial break here of the of the hour and we'll be back in just a minute here with more mortgage matters.
1: It's time to pay some bills. Mortgage Matters will be back in just a few seconds. Join in on the conversation at 805-543-8830 or 1-800-549-5832.
2: Hello, this is Mike Points, a co-host of Mortgage Matters and a licensed loan officer with Central Coast Lending. I'm here to invite you to check out a new podcast at smartretirementpodcast.com. This is a podcast I co-host with Matthew Hollander with Century Financial Consultants that talks about all of the things to focus on to make you a smarter retiree. Things like Social Security, how to manage your health care, and so much more. So please go to our website, smartretirementpodcast.com, and subscribe to our episodes. I hope you enjoy it, and I'm sure you'll find it informative.
4: Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We're using low down payment programs and down payment assistance programs to help folks just like you buy their first home. You may not need to save and wait as long as you think. Are you ready to explore homeownership? Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved.
0: Just call 543 on the Central Coast. Central Coast Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. In the heart of wine country, in Templeton, home to one of the top school districts, you can own a brand new, beautiful home, not a condo, a home, Built by the best, starting for less than $500,000. Introducing Vineyard Creek from Coastal Community Builders, who've been shaping our community for 30 years. Right now, Vineyard Creek, just off Las Tablas Road in Templeton, has plenty of homes to choose from. But with prices starting below $500,000, homes are selling fast. Visit CoastalCommunityBuilders.com today. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters
1: on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11. If you missed any part of the show, check out the podcast at centralcoastlending.com. Now, back to the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending.
5: All right. You ready? Ready. Home stretch here. Home stretch.
4: I just opened up the Central Coast Economic Forecast for 2019, um, thinking I would just skim it and find some things in here. Ain't happening.
5: Um, there was a- some interesting stuff. there. The economic forecast, I think they do it like two, three, four times a year now around here. Um, oh, various. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, they give you a look into local economies as well as state and national. I I perused through the, uh, I don't know. It was the PowerPoint that they went through during the the conference here. I think it was last Friday and um, two Fridays ago, and it it was interesting. It actually a couple. I mean, again, I spent all of five minutes in a lengthy um, lengthy presentation there, so I didn't. Definitely just got a surface level view. But I saw, you know, California actually looked pretty good in comparison with the nation as a whole. Um, As far as income earnings, we were outpacing the nation and um, certain things like that. Housing was a sad situation as far as like we were the lowest state out of 50 for housing availability um, in the country. So that you know, obviously, is a big burden, which has also got to put you pretty high up on the uh,
4: or low in the affordability yeah. column. Yeah, low availability scarcity.
5: equals low affordability. Right. Which you know is great that we're outpacing the country in earnings, in income, and in income growth. But it's you know, I, I venture to guess that it's barely keeping up, or not even keeping up not, with it's housing not, cost.
4: It's not, and in I. I always like to just remind people of this when you think about it is um, so nationally run the numbers out for 2019 depends on where you get your data what you like glass half full or half empty but um, what can we agree on that real estate values appreciated three and a half to four and a half percent that's in the last year yeah that's conservatively low I would say nationally yeah yeah yeah. And locally, same.
5: Somewhere in the ballpark. So maybe even probably higher.
4: Higher. So it's conservatively low. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wage growth nationally 3%? No, not even quite that. Right around that, right at three. Conservatively low. No. I mean, that's a that's like a best we could score it nationally. We hope that we could be three, which is not good. Um but so now it's three percent of what median income? Thirty thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, depends
5: where you live. Yeah, I want to say it's in the forty to fifty range.
4: I'm gonna say you're in San Luis and you're killing it and you're making two hundred grand and you're getting that three percent price, or I mean uh wage increase three percent on 200 grand because you're smoking it top of the nation uh, the house three percent was conservatively low almost laughably low on five hundred thousand it's not even close it's so far out of whack that home price appreciation wages just wages are never solving this problem for us here in you know California what's it take I don't know uh, Tascadero this week approved a tiny home development. Did you see
5: that? I didn't. Mm-hmm. Tiny homes are all the rage, right? Yeah. They? It's
4: like a 1.7 acre parcel on El Camino Real where they're going to plop in however many tiny homes. And I immediately was like, uh, I guess, dang, am I a glass half empty guy? huh I, I've been accused of being a pessimist before. I call myself a realist. Like any good pessimist was. I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. Um but man when government starts doing things that that lending you know practicality, you know just can't keep up with for example you know, we got we got on this tear in the last few years here of doing well more mixed use. You know, you gotta work where you live. You gotta build five story buildings where, you know, the bottom is retail and the second story is office or whatever, you know, and the third story is residential and you build up this way. Yeah, that's great. But all those loan programs left with the recession, those were all A loans. That's all gonzo. Um Fannie Mae's requirements, FHA's requirements, getting to buy a mixed-use building—you know, same thing. Condos. Remember, remember, just like the the smartest real estate guys in the room were doing condo conversions out of duplexes, triplexes, and four-unit properties all around the county. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when those the recession hit and the Altai lenders vanished, the ability to finance that project is like gone. Yeah. Now it's a now it's a small a small unit you know condo project which is crazy. Now you have to have a an agreement with your duplex neighbor about maintaining the driveway and the roof. You know things that just weren't thought of and and well accounted for. You have an HOA and reserves and a bond for the you know the the board members doing the right thing and not absconding with the money or causing problems within the development.
6: Yeah, you know, I saw something. That just brought something up to mind there, Jason, actually, because I, I, I'm a big fan of, like, those home renovation shows and the flip-it shows and stuff like that. And I was watching one of them uh, the other day where they had a shared driveway. Uh-huh. And the driveway was in really bad shape. So yeah. you had to go through the HOA, First off, to get the driveway signed off on. Secondly, it was a shared driveway with your neighbor. Yep. So now you got to get the neighbor involved in fixing the driveway.
5: Well, and do. what if your neighbor is so one of those guys, different you know. aesthetic yeah. desires too? Yeah, yeah but yeah. also, um, yeah, it's different hard to work through those differences, sure. which is exactly.
4: usually why you have really strong CCNRs that that clearly dictate, state this what it is can what be. it can be and right. only. Um, But also, but but what if you're the co-owner, you know, we see this come up from time to time with roads, Mm -hmm. right? Like someone will find a place within, uh, you know, some city or an unincorporated part of the county where they come back, say, I want to buy this house. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, Now that road is a non-maintained road. So the city or county isn't caring for that road. And so then there are requirements, right? In in lending, we call it like the the joint road maintenance agreement. Well, who maintains that road? And who agrees to maintain that road? And how do you split the cost? And for us, from a lending perspective, it's important that the road's an all-weather road that's going to have a minimum level of maintenance, right? It can't become impassable to, like, you know, police or medical, because then it's a health and safety, right? Or you I mean just at a most basic level, if it becomes a really rutted up, beat up road, it could have marketability in the future for that home. So there's there's a lot there's a lot of that needs to be taken into consideration with things like that, right? People just forget to think about that. Yeah.
5: So you brought this up. We were talking about income in California not keeping up with home prices and making it unaffordable. So now we've got tiny home developments popping up in Atascadero. I know Morro Bay is talking a lot about tiny homes and trying to figure out what the rules are going to be related to Airbnb with tiny homes and things like that. You know, we have this affordability crisis. And some of the stuff that you're talking about, about proximity to work And stuff, you know, some of it's environmental, you know, we don't want to, we want to decrease our carbon footprint, we want to reduce our time spent on roads and maximize our time, you know, enjoying it with the people we love, and, um, you know, our recreational time and stuff like that. Um, A lot of it, though, aside from the environmental aspect is just out of plain necessity, right? We don't the family unit isn't the same as it was in the 1950s or whatever, when most households were one income families. Now, I mean, we get a good snapshot of a lot of people in the central coast and across California of their household living situation. And the majority of young families are two income households. And it's not
4: out of necessity. Yeah,
5: it's out of necessity. It's because it takes two incomes to afford a house, food, utilities, automobiles, just your basic needs. Yeah. And uh, that's the reality of life today that um, it's just different. And so, you know, again, kind of back to what we'd been talking about for a lot of the show is we need something meaningful to impact the the majority of Americans. Um you know, ability to live and have discretionary income. These little tiny tweaks here and there are just not doing it. They're not moving the needle. We've got this polarization of earnings. There's so much going on at one end and so little, you know, insignificant changes at the at the other larger end of the spectrum, and that's the the big issue. That's why you got all these people talking well, about you these know, extreme plans. It's you know, it was frustrating
4: just looking at that. When we went through the last recession, um, you know, the government intervened and drove interest rates down, right? Created some loan programs to help some people. And man, as rates fell through the years, how many times we helped the same people that already qualified, they're already doing fine and they're just, they're getting more money. Um, I never the the HARP program, um, which was the one that allowed people to have like negative equity, like if, say you had a that was the Home Affordable Refinance
5: Program yeah. for the Fannie Freddie borrowers,
4: yeah, where you could do like for a little while it was like up to a, what a hundred and fifteen percent loan to value. Some and of them went to unlimited, went LTVs. unlimited, yeah. yeah. Um, that one might have uh, just never really had the impact that you would really think it had. And maybe it has to do with where we are within the nation, right? Maybe there were other parts of the country where that program had a real meaningful change. But, you know, here we were advertising well um, and, you know, good footprint in town and, and just not getting a lot of people, struggling people help with that program. But all the while the business just constantly coming through the revolving door was affluent people getting to do a little bit better. You know, we refied them at five, we refied them at four, we refied them at three. And, you know, it's a, it's a, just an interesting thing to me that even those, those programs seem to be the beneficiaries of them are, are not that even that doesn't really help that, that middle or lower class, working class people with their day-to-day life, you know? If anything, like they rent a house, right? Well, their landlord refied because he's flush with cash, and he lowered his payment. He didn't lower the rent. He improved his cash flow, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean?
5: So those, you know, and I think that- Or maybe took a little cash out to go buy a second investment property, because that one's doing so great. Sure. (sighs) You
4: know, if you could be so lucky. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't just point out a few things, you know. And I'll share with you guys a story of a loan that I put together yesterday for a realtor friend of mine. Uh, I did a loan for her and her family a couple years ago. I think it was about, well, she had 333 months left on her loan. So what's that? twenty four yeah so it was two years ago almost to the month, so i did a i did a refi for them and lowered their interest rate and in payment, and they saved some money um so but so here they come two years later, and they approached me and said hey we're we wanna we want to look at refinancing again and and by the way, these are people her and her husband i I really feel like I have a really good relationship with them um not that I would treat them any differently than I do to anybody but they trust me so much because we've had so much interaction with one another that they know me that I I'm just gonna do right by them you know so they said well here's all of our paperwork you know our tax returns the the uh, they're both self-employed but so here's all of our stuff and uh, just your judgment. They first said, "Do it when you think the time is perfect," and I was like, no, well, that's a tall order. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't have the ability to like to control the time very well, you know. Like, it, what if I do this loan for you in November or December because it looks phenomenal, and then March proves to be just way better? Because um, at the same time, if you if you wait." You know, which some people have suffered this, all right? They wait, thinking that, well, December is just going to be way, way better than March. Uh, Well, hey, guys, March, back in that rearview window there, was so much better than December. So if you wait for somebody, right, you you have this plan of waiting and the market goes the other way on you, you, you could strip them of the very opportunity they once had. So I don't love that, right? She said, well, just when you think the time is perfect. And so I just sort of thought, well, that's that's a, probably one of the worst things you could ever tell somebody that you care about, that cares about you, is just refinance me when it's the best time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we talked again, and it was getting closer, and then she said, hey, and my husband and I, we were talking, and we want you to... um just know that we would rather not refi if you don't think it's a great idea, and we would if you do. We just want you to tell us exactly what we should do. So I was dang, that's that's a appreciate that, right? So, anyhow, I, I ran through the whole transaction and, and uh, ended up putting a loan together for them yesterday. Um, they only owe like 347000 bucks, So it's not a huge amount of money. And their house is only worth like $525,000. So they've got some equity. They're like a 67 8% loan to value. Um, but the bottom line is they're two years in, right? And they were at four and an eighth kind of thing. And so I was, I'm looking at the deal, and it's like, well, I could save you money, but you're going back to 30 years. So we crafted up, I I got an amortization schedule out and kind of crafted up a plan where we save them money by refining them into a new 30, but they're going to electively pay the savings, which is about $165 a month towards the principal on the new loan. So their mortgage payment's not going to change by a penny. They're going to make the same payment they've always been making, but the difference is this new loan pays off in 303 months if they do that, as opposed to 333 months if they just keep doing what they're doing. So when you add up three years' worth of the principal and interest on that loan, it's about 52000 bucks. So that was how I presented it, you know, and then... in. Taking the time element out of it was like, this is something we can lock today, and here's the amortization schedule, here's the fee worksheet, how we're going to walk it out. And you're going to refi into um, this deal and basically get out of three years, almost three years worth of payments, save $50,000, um, and we're not doing a 15-year loan because holding them to the grindstone when they really shouldn't this is them electively getting to pay more when they can and if life throws them a curveball they can come off of that that payment but anyhow that's the kind of help that that we're giving people to so if you want that help call 805-543-LOAN or find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com we'll see you back
0: next week with another episode